podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, joined as always by Mr. Carl Matchett. How are you, sir? I am feeling very five in a row. What about you? Yeah, yeah, all well, all well. The Reds are on a run. It's nice to see. It's not the most um, assured run. There's been some very wobbly moments, but wins are wins, and that's all that really matters at the business end of the season. A 4-3 win over Spurs at the weekend. We both did raw and kind of picked through the stupidity of that game. But the lingering aftermath of that game is obviously the blow-up between Jürgen and the officials. And, Carl, I've seen some really, really hot takes on what the punishment should be. Now, Jürgen has come out today and he's clarified things a little bit more. Um, He said he doesn't need a scan or an ultrasound. He has a grade 2C... Uh, hamstring injury, which if he was a player, he'd be out for six weeks. He said the situation with Paul Tierney should not have happened. A lot of emotion, anger, it's never good. That's why I celebrated the way I did. I assume the Diaz non-foul that was given, or not given, was part of it. I assume the foul on Mo by Ben Davies, which was somehow given as a free kick to Ben Davies, which began the phase of play that ended with the second free kick they got, which led to the goal, was part of it. I assume that's why he reacted. He said, that's why I celebrated the way I did. Tierney said, for me, it's a red card, but because of him, it's a yellow. Now, if this is what Jürgen has gotten worked up about, and if this is what he's come out and said that, you know, the way he spoke to me was unacceptable, I can't really back Jürgen on that one if that's all Tierney said, because he probably would have been within his rights to send Jürgen off for the way he rushed over to challenge the fourth official, regardless of what was actually said. Um, he said, I know Paul Tierney is not doing this on purpose. Absolutely not. I'm not sure many of us feel the same, Jürgen. We won a game 4-3 in spectacular manner. The only headlines are what I created, and I regret that. I have no clue what happens now. We expect a reaction. So, Carl, let's, before we get into punishments, what, what are you feeling about the incident and Klopp's handling of the incident now that we have a couple of days to catch our breath? So, I'm not really a fan any of the time in football or sport in general when you have something good for your player, your team, your, you know, whatever the sporting context is. In football's case, obviously, it's your team. Uh, something really, really good and emotional happens and your first instinct is to laugh at someone else or to have a go at someone else. You know, we don't like it when the fans sort of 
uh, of another team turn to the other supporters and like give it large because they've just conceded a goal. Support your own team, you know. And I think it's for me similar with Klopp's circumstance here. I don't know why his first instinct is to have a go at a, uh, an official. Like it should be about celebrating the team or celebrating the player who scored the goal or with the backroom staff who helped him make the subs or whatever it is in that particular case. That's what it should be. So I understand that he's frustrated and we all hate the officials because they're all crap. Um, but I don't understand why that's the immediate reaction and I don't like that. So if he now goes and gets a, a two or three game touchdown ban because he's already been in trouble with them before, he's got nobody yeah. to blame but himself and it harms Liverpool. Yeah, no, I fully agree. And I, I said it at the time, I said it on Twitter and I said it on Raw, I didn't like that reaction from him. You know, you, you've just scored. React with joy, react with relief. Don't react with anger. Don't go and pick a fight with somebody. You know, like you said, the, the time to maybe have that discussion is when the emotion is, is gone out of you. And I think this is Jurgen's sort of big flaw when it comes to these type of things. Because I do think most often he's got a point. And I think he's right when he has said in the past that Paul Tierney seems to have an issue with him. I think he said it to Tierney directly that, you know, you seem to have an issue with me. I do think he does. I, I think you can look at the the Paul Tierney track record, and I know there's a piece on the Anfield Index website, and I know there's a piece on This Is Anfield, uh, detailing some of the incidents that Paul Tierney has been involved in with Liverpool. So I do think Jürgen is right, but I think he loses his... Moral high ground is the wrong phrase, but you know what I mean. He loses that when he reacts in that manner. And look, he's got himself a fairly nasty hamstring injury from being a dumbass. That's the be-all and end-all. He acted like a jackass and he got a hamstring injury out of it. And now he's going to get a ban and a fine. And it's something he needs to improve on. I, I understand he's a very passionate man, but he needs to work on this. Yeah, can't disagree with that. I mean, like some of our most iconic moments under Klopp have been late, late goals and those celebrations that you can think back on over the last few years, you know, whether it's the, the Norwich one where Lallana jumps in and celebrates and knocks his glasses off or the one where he runs on the pitch and hugs Alisson, you know, all those things are good because he's celebrating with the team, he's part of the crowd, the fans, the atmosphere, everything, that they're all positive things. We don't want the, the this sort of sideline negativity, angriness. That's going to happen anyway because that's who he is. But at times of the match when that's relevant, you know, the, the bad decisions going against us or, you know, something really costing us or an awful call in the first place, which maybe then gets turned over by a VAR, that's maybe when you want to turn around and say, I told you so, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. It's still not warranted, let's say. It's not good, but somebody like that is still going to do something like that. You kind of have to accept it from time to time. But not when Liverpool do something good. Not when we've scored. Not when we win a picky moments. For me, I think the, the, the proper way to approach it would be to take a real calculated look at it. Ferguson was brilliant at this. Now, he obviously got himself in trouble as well because at times he'd let his emotions get the better of him. And he flat out bullied referees for 20 plus years. Like there's no way around it. But he would often go into press conferences before games if there was a referee he didn't approve of. And he would list prior grievances that this referee had wronged his team on this occasion. And here, here they all are. This is why I have an issue with this referee. And I feel like if Jürgen, because it would be very easy to just, you know, plant the question with 
one of the local journalists if Jürgen wanted to have a say about a particular referee. And I get that he'd get in trouble and I get that he'd get a fine, but at least it would be more calculated and calm and it would be coming from the right place. The next time Paul Tierney is assigned to referee Liverpool game, have one of the local journalists say, Jürgen, Paul Tierney's in charge this weekend. We know there's been issues in the past. Can you give us an idea of what you feel the grievances are? And let him list the litany of things that have gone on with this this guy. The other thing I'd love to see the club do is, after a game like that, <clears throat> on the next day, just very quietly drop a video onto Twitter. You've got enough video analysts to make it. Of the big decisions in the game. Not the goals, nothing else, just the big decisions. And see, you know, if you've been wronged, put them out there. Uh, the Arsenal game this season remains the one that we should have done for, where all three big decisions in the game went in their favour. And as bad as we were, we should have actually won the game. Um, there is a, a gentleman whose name is not worth my while mentioning, who is the head of a charity uh, in support of referees. And he has come out, and, and like he always pops up whenever Klopp blots the copybook. He always pops up with something stupid. And this this time, the stupid thing he's popped up with is the idea that Liverpool should have a points deduction for Jurgen Klopp having a go at the referees. I mean, this might be the dumbest thing I've heard all week. I mean, there are a lot of contenders for dumb things we hear every single week, to be honest, and most of them do stem from football pundits of one type or another, uh, people who just make want to make a comment, quite often just for the sake of making the comment, to be perfectly honest, without any kind of uh, sense behind it. Um, I mean, look, it's not just the the Klopp thing, it's not just the referees in general. We, we've seen, you know, the uh, Dermot comparisons doing the rounds today as well between the Jota and Erling Haaland. Yeah, and the, the Haaland one, which is just, which is probably worse. I mean, pretty much the same, aren't they? Let's be honest. Whichever one is marginally worse, they're both the same thing, is the point. And, and he said the Haaland one was an actual attempt to play the ball. But what I will say, Carl, is Haaland didn't play the ball. Gallagher got the ball first, or Anderson rather got the ball first, and Haaland kicked him in the head. Jota got the ball, and Skip made the contact with his foot. So I do think there is a difference there. And he said the Haaland one was an honest attempt to play the ball, and he said the Jota one was endangering an opponent. Like, that is a double standard no matter what way you look at it. Nothing new there, mate. No, no, nothing at all. Right, let's leave that game behind and let's move on. I have some questions to run by you. This first one is not my question. This comes from Sydney on Discord. Listening to the rival recon pod and the name that leapt out for a left-back, centre-back hybrid was Dan Byrne. Gallops around, is seven feet tall, has played that role all season. Would you take Dan Byrne? Now, the answer for me is very quick and easy, no. But I do see what he's what he's leaning into. Yes, I get it. Um, no, is also my answer, and it's not really a you know a prejudicial thing of not thinking that players are good because they haven't been good in the past or anything like that. I just think that if we are going to move to that style of defender, then you really want to be looking at someone who is going to be either straight away or halfway through next season for the forthcoming two, three, four, five, six seasons, preferably like Andy Robertson has done himself. 
Yes. And Dan Byrne, obviously. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design T-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. One, still under contract with now one of, or if not the richest club in the entire Premier League. Two, is already playing a big role there and went there specifically for the reason that, you know, that was his club effectively and he wanted the big shot and the big opportunity to play for it. And three, he's 30 years old already. Yeah, he'll be 31 next week on the 9th. Um, so, you know, that that is a a significant factor here. The other factors, like you mentioned, he is starting for Newcastle, a, a, a soon-to-be Champions League team. He is from the greater Newcastle area. That move was not just about, you know, joining a team on the up. It was also about going home and being closer to friends and family. Uh, I put up a piece on the Anfield Index website last week about this very position and why it's necessary that we do address this position. And I I, I did name some names. Um, the, the obvious three that stand out to everybody are Josco Guardiol, Alessandro Bastoni and Levi Colwell. They're probably unrealistic for a v- variety of reasons. Uh, others that have been mentioned and actually linked to us, Mickey Van de Veen of Wolfsburg and Evan and Dicker. Van de Veen's a bit of a project, but it would take a bit of finagling to get him into that role. I would worry about the physical demands of that role on his body. And in Dicker, I just... I, it, look, if, if all our money goes in the midfield and that's who we're left with on a free, fair enough, but I just don't think he's really of the level that we should be aiming for. And I landed on three. Three that I think walk in and immediately can be day one starters and can be day can be starters for a long, long time. Uh, Castello Lakeba uh, of Olympic Leon, who I said to you before, I think that the, what you're looking for here, the, the actual prototype is Samuel Mtiti before all the injuries, and I think that's him. Piero Hincapié of Bayer Leverkusen, I think, is a perfect fit. And the one that we've been linked with a couple of times recently as well is Giancarlo Inacio of Sporting, who, again, is a perfect fit in that role and has versatility, could actually fill in for Ibu if needed. He has played on the right of a back three in the past. Those are the three I'd be looking at. I think they're all well within budget and within you know the realms of possibility. So... Uh, Dan Byrne, a 31, <clears throat> I just, I, I don't think he's of the level we want anyway. Uh, like, I, I would be surprised if he's starting for, for them next season. There's already talk they're in for Kieran Tierney. So it suggests that Dan Byrne isn't one they have penciled in as a starter moving forward. But no, he wouldn't be for me. Um, Probably worth noting just to, to, you know, not be completely unaware of where we are right now. Um, Newcastle are higher than Liverpool as well. It's yeah. not necessarily someone who's going to step down to us, let's be honest. 
yeah, that's it. I mean, he's got the opportunity next season to play in the Champions League. And it might be the only opportunity he gets in mm-hmm. his entire career. Mm-hmm. So why would he drop that to come and play in the Europa League? You know? Right, I have some questions for you. I'm going to give you a hypothetical. And I want a reasoned reply. You might have seen this on Twitter. I put this out on Twitter. You are Jurgen Klopp. I am unnamed new sporting director. And I have just secured you your new holding midfielder. And we've looked at the budget and what remains to solve the rest of the midfield being two number eights or eight slash tens, whatever you want to look at it, is about 130 million pounds, 130 to 140 million. And I tell you, you can have option A or option B. Option A is Jude Bellingham and Ryan Gravenberch. Option B is Nicolo Barella and Alexis McAllister. We've been made aware that Barella is open to the move, that Inter need to sell somebody for a large fee, and he is the one that's the easiest to attain for us. Do you take Jude and Gravenberch, or do you take Barella and McAllister? So to clarify, you're giving me Bellingham and Gravenberch for 130 million. Uh, 140, say, 110 for Jude, plus now plus a bunch of add-ons. Mm. And Gravenberch or Barella and McAllister. Now, I think there's a very clear answer here, but I think you're going to go the other way. Are you saying that Barella and Alexis would be that tally the same? Yes. I think Barella's probably 70 plus some add-ons and Alexis is 60. So, okay. So defensive stuff is aside from all of this. There's no, like, if you get one, you can still get a left back or whatever you want. No, no. Left back is taken care of. It's just these two then. Just these two positions. Um, Let's see. I think really the big toss up here is, do you want balance and players who are already of an age, or do you want fans to not be fuming for a couple of weeks? I'm going to go for the balance on this occasion and players who are already of an age to, to contribute Champions League level and take Barella and Alexis. Um, Bellingham, I think, is exceptional. Gravenberg, mm. I think, could be, but he hasn't had enough opportunity to show that at the highest level, and his really, really good level at the Eredivisie is now going to be over a year ago, obviously. So, I would say it's over two years ago, because I didn't yeah. think he was good last season. Well, yeah, that's what I was meaning by over one year. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's age as much as anything else. I'm definitely going for Barella, Alexis. Neither of them are old, but both of them are in that sort of category of ready to be stars, basically. Whether or not they do, they're there and ready. They haven't got to be like three years to get there as such. And I think if Liverpool have designs on getting back to challenging right now with some of the massive, massive talents that we've got into the 30s, that's what you need to do. You see, this is my, my my thinking on it as well, and that's my piece that's coming out tomorrow on the website will be about this kind of win now is where we need to be because as things stand, it's a big rebuild. But if you buy for the future rather than buying to win now, I think you might as well sell Virgil, sell Mo. Yeah, sell Fabinho, sell Henderson, sell Robertson, sell a lot of them. And rebuild properly. 
and, and, and literally do a long haul rebuild. The problem then becomes Jürgen's contract is up in 2026 and you might not be finished yeah. by then. And that creates a whole new uh, bunch of problems because a new manager walking in might look at a Ryan Gravenberch and go, well, he's not for me. Mm. He's not ready. He's only just ready now, but he's not for me. Because so were you expecting me to go with uh, Jude there? I, I thought you might go with Jude by by the way you framed the the asking of the price. Okay, okay, yeah. Because you see, I I look at Gravenberch, and there's no doubt in the lad has bags and bags of talent, but he was poor for Ajax in his last year. He's been woeful for Bayern. He has serious issues with his stamina in games which suggests to me he doesn't train the way he should train. And that is something that has been reported, that he's not a particularly good trainer, wasn't at Bayern, wasn't at Ajax, or hasn't been at Bayern, wasn't at Ajax. That he's maybe bought into his own hype a little bit too much. He's too reliant on his natural ability. <clears throat> and it's one thing having a stamina issue, playing for an Eric Ten Hag, a Julian Nagelsmann, a Thomas Tuchel. It's a very different thing when you play for Jurgen Klopp. And the game is much more intense. And the Premier League is a much faster, more intense game than the Bundesliga or the Eredivisie. Right now, I think he'd struggle to do a good 30 minutes in the Premier League. So it could be two years before he's ready. And the way I think of it is, I don't expect us to challenge to win the title next year. 23-24, I think, is going to be the actual transition year. But 24-25 has to be penciled in as... We are going balls to the wall here for everything. That gives Liverpool three windows to do everything they need to do. Because 24-25 is the last season on the contract of Virgil, of Henderson, of Fabinho, of Salah. Then the following season, Robertson is up. Thiago's up in 2024, so he actually wouldn't even be there unless he signs a new deal. And... After that, even if you try and keep Virgil and Trent, you know, or Virgil and Salah beyond that, if you're still rebuilding, by the time you're actually ready, they might be 36 and 35, respectively. Do you know? Like, I don't feel like we have this infinite period of time to just do things really slowly. I feel like we have to hit this summer aggressively and put ourselves in a strong position for next year. Go all out to win the Europa League, get top four, have a crack at the domestic cups. But the following season, we absolutely need to be in a position to win the league. And look, Jude is fantastic. Jude also has a lot of bad games, like a lot of bad games. Now, that's not a knock on him. He's 19 years of age. He has more great games than bad games, but he is inconsistent as all youngsters are. He does have a lot of learning to do and we've seen players absolutely dominate the Bundesliga and come to England and struggle now I I think he's fairly bulletproof I think within 12 months he, he will be settled and flying but at the same time there's a chance that he's not there is a chance that he's not and there's a chance with every transfer obviously that doesn't work out but I would put more faith in Alexis McAllister making the move from Brighton, having already established himself as one of the better midfielders in the league and being a success 
and Barella, who I think of the four we're talking about, I think he's right now the best of them. And he's 26, just at, like just into his prime. Yeah. So if I'm getting the prime of Barella and the soon-to-be prime of Alexis, who will be 25 in December, I'd rather have that with Virgil, Ali, Salah, Thiago, and the remnants of Fabinho, Robbo, and Henderson in squad roles than Jude and a big, big question mark over Ryan Gravenberch, who might be ready in two years or might never be good enough to start. And he is, of the four, the fourth by a distance. I would say Barella, then Jude, then Alexis, and I don't think it's a big gap between them for now. And then Gravenberch, for me, is well below. Gravenberch is a pure gamble on talent and talent alone because there's nothing else to hang your hat on there right now. I mean, the other thing that I would say of the the pair we are selecting is that I think the most important thing for Liverpool this summer to go in with all the quality and everything else that we want is a huge, huge amount of tenacity. And none of the others other than Barella bring that. So pending the fact that you said you've sorted the defensive midfielder, and I don't really know who that is, Barella out of the four of those is the only one who I know is going to be full throttle in every kind of defensive work that I want. So I would well, as you know, I'm I'm very close friends with George Mendes, so I've actually done a little bit of a sweetheart deal, and I've gotten the sporting duo of Ugart and Anasio. So that's those two positions boxed off. You don't even need to worry about them. Excellent. The other thing I'll say about Barella and McAllister is they're proven winners. Barella won the Argentine title with Boca Juniors when he was there on loan. He also won the World Cup and was a vital starter. Sorry, yeah, McAllister won with Boca Juniors and was a vital starter for Argentina. And Barella has won a Serie A, a Cup, and a European Championship. These guys are proven winners. They have that built into them. You're not going to have to teach them how to win. They arrive knowing how to win. And it's not a knock on him, but we went into this weekend looking at the Bundesliga table and Dortmund in a great position to go ahead and win the Bundesliga with a fairly easy run in ahead of them. And at the first hurdle, they fell over. Mm. Now, Jude himself had a decent game. I wouldn't call it a, a good game or a bad game. I thought he was decent. But the, that's that's the type of game I wanted to see him step yeah, up. Yeah, make and, sure we win. Yeah, like... It's one all after seven minutes. You've got 83 minutes in stoppage time. Go and win me this game, Jude. Go and show me you're that guy, that you have that ability to drag a team over the line. And it just didn't happen in this game. Now, again, it's I'm not hammering him here on this. It's just, I think Barella in that situation takes hold of that Dortmund team and drags them to the title. When When the shit hit the fan for Inter, the guy who stepped up over and over again when they wanted to win the league was Barella. I think him and Alexis come in ready to win, and I think that's huge for us. Never going to say no to a bit of extra uh, set-piece possibility as well, which uh, Alexis yeah. certainly did. Yeah, I mean, Barella's knocked in a few free kicks himself as well, so you do get extra extra dead ball quality there, which, you know, if Andy Robertson is dropping out of the starting 11, you will need to replace. Um, not that Robbo's always the most consistent with a set-piece delivery. The final thing I wanted to touch on with you was this. So 
looking at the uh, the attacking positions and what we might do in midfield this summer, there's a big question mark, I think, over Harvey and where does he actually fit? And some people have said, look, this new shape fits him a lot better as an advanced eight. And we saw at times on the weekend that it does. You know, when we have the ball, Harvey does make sense. But when we don't have the ball, he is just an absolute black hole. So I, I, I think, honestly, we know Bobby's leaving. There's been some people suggesting, oh, well, that means we need to buy an attacker. But I would look at it and go, well, if we have Jota and Diaz on the left. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa, he does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. And Cody and Darwin through the middle. And Mo plays pretty much every game. Isn't Mo and Harvey just the better fit on the right? I know he's a different type of player to Mo. He doesn't have the pace. But doesn't that just make a bit more sense to repurpose them there rather than continuing to try this midfield experiment, which just hasn't worked. He's he's looked like a, a square peg in a round hole all season, in my opinion. Um, I, I mean, I feel a little bit sorry for him, to be honest, because he's been given quite a big midfield role in the season where our midfield is the worst it's been for half a, half a decade. Um, and like you say, some of the time he looks a really, really good fit, not just now when the system changed, but even in the old 4-3-3, in possession, really, really good. Like The dovetailing between him and Salah sometimes in that channel is really, really good. But off the ball is a big problem. Actually, I think that this system overall suits him less. I know it's, like you say, it's fine when we do have the ball, but Liverpool's game for years and years now has been about transitions and defensive work, even when mm. we have got the ball. And he is really good and really proactive at finding space to, to play quick passes and to pick up the ball. But also you have to be in a position where you can react if we lose the ball. And I don't think he's there with that. And absolutely not the one who needs to be doing that filling in at the right back spot or the uh, the tracking back at a very, very quick pace while either Kanate or Trent or whoever it is tries to filter over to that side. So my opinion of Elliot in midfield in this current shape is that he's an alternative to where Curtis Jones is at the minute. And he would be out the left sided role. Yeah. yeah. Because when Jones goes really, really wide to you know, before Robertson goes on the overlap to let Jota go on the inside or Diaz as it was last time, he's then still able to keep the width and instead of checking back in, like obviously Jones does, he's able to cross first time if he wants. It would reduce the number of times Robertson has to be out of the defensive position because he doesn't need to overlap on that flank because uh, we've already got the left footer, for example. So I don't think that that's the worst option to, to see him get a run there. But again, then you're still looking at different patterns of play, different build-up positions for him to take up. It's effectively another new role for him anyway. So, and, and you're certainly not dropping Curtis for Harvey. 
Oh, God, based on current. I, I mean, I wouldn't drop cats for anybody at the minute. No, that's, that's the point. That's the, the the truth of where we are right now. But I just think that if he is a midfielder in this setup, that's probably where I see his off the ball game doing best. Yeah, I, I do agree. I do agree because there's less need for him to be as you know as urgent defensively because Fabinho's the one behind him, and then you've got Virgil. Um, and obviously you've got Robbo as well, still playing as more of a, I suppose, traditional fullback, but filling in as a centre-back. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree. I think, but like, I look at it and I think Thiago's a better midfielder than them, obviously. Curtis has shown more in the last six games in midfield than Harvey ever has in a midfield three, on and off the ball. Curtis has been outstanding and his off-ball work is is absolutely top tier. So if I look at next season and I've got three new starters have come in, let's let's just hope that's the case, and then I've got Thiago, Fabinho and Curtis, and then I've got Henderson, and I've got Besetic. I, I just don't see any opportunity in midfield for him. You know, I, I kind of, I wonder where he would even get minutes. So, I mean, it does beg the question of if a good offer came in this summer or if, Brighton were to say, look, we'd actually love to take Harvey. Would you include him in a deal for Alexis or for the dream signing for me of Caicedo? Or if Palace were to sell Michael Elise and unfortunately we weren't smart enough to buy him, but said Harvey's the one we want to replace him. Would you take 30 million for Harvey Elliott this summer? 30. Look at well, me add-ons as well. Obviously. Yeah, I mean, I think I think thirty's on the low side for the quality that he does have and everything that goes with that in terms of age and you know relative experience already and that kind of thing. Um, thirty and considerable add-ons and the other stuff like sell-on and buyback options, potentially yes. Um, if it's for an Alexis deal, I'd be more inclined to rate him at thirty just to get that deal done with mm. you know room to spare elsewhere to spend. To be honest. Um, just a straight up sale. I would probably be looking at 40 and sell on. Really? Maybe, For Harvey Elliott? Maybe a little. Yeah. Because like, I'm looking at Michael Elise and price has been floated of 45 million. And that's a much better version of Harvey. Bigger, oh. faster, stronger, better on the ball, better off the ball. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it depends how you want to use the player, obviously. So, I mean, I think, for example, Look at let's say Alex Awobi moving a couple of years ago for thirty-five million. That's fair. I, that is I, fair. I do not see any way you can look at the midfielders who have moved between Premier League clubs over the last three years and say you couldn't get thirty, thirty-five at the very, very least for Harvey Elliott. Considering how much he could still be used, you know, if there was a But who are the clubs that would actually want him? Like remember as well, the the, the price is also set by what the market is, not just what, what the selling club wanted to be and sure. Like, I mean, are, are any of the top Premier League clubs? But it's not just the Harvey? top Premier League clubs, is it? I mean, you think of how much people like West Ham, Wolves, Leicester, well, not Leicester in the last couple of years, but even Nottingham Forest spent huge money on players this year. But, but, Everton, we've just mentioned, they're in the relegation zone. Not individual point. big sums. Um, like, Forest's big signing was Morgan Gibbs-White. That was £25 million in adults. Yes, and Awani was, I think, the same or slightly. £24 million, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's not... You know, a big, big step if they survive this season. But they're better players than him. And one, he's a nine. Like, they always come with a premium. Sure. But I I still think that there are 
plenty of clubs who would do so. You know, even like um, Fulham when they came up last time, spent big on people like Zambonguisa in midfield. Yeah, maybe maybe we could sell them back to Fulham <laughs> <laughs> just to complete the circle. Um, maybe one of the teams coming up will have interest. Burnley might come up with wanting to spend a bit of money. They just just announced a new minority owner in JJ Watts, so perhaps there'll be some extra money to spend there. Sheffield um, up for sale, and so he might want to be the new Ryan Brewster. Yeah, coming in, spending a bit of money. Um, him and him and Bruce could uh, could get back. Would they? Think, would they even? They weren't together at Liverpool, were they? No. No, I don't think so. I think they were together for a year, but I think Brewster spent most of it on loan. If I'm not mistaken, well, could be wrong. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like I, I think he's a talented player, and I think he can play a role for us next year. It's just I don't see him getting minutes in midfield, and I think I think he might need to just go to Jurgen and say, "Look, just let me have some minutes in the attack," because otherwise, what is the point? Like, what what is he going to do other than sit on the bench and watch or not make the bench a lot of weeks? I mean, look, I think, if it's I think a choice, too talented for that. If it's a choice out of putting one of them on the bench for a forward spot, I take Elliot over Carvalho, for example, at the minute. Oh yeah, but I don't think Carvalho's at the club next season. I think he's on loan at, le- at the very, at the very least. Hmm. Do you know? Because I think I think you're going to have Mo, Cody, and Diaz starting, and then Jota and Darwin will be kind of the, the first two. But I do think there's a bench role there for Harvey if if he if he wants to move into the front three. But as if we're only if we're doing say you know two a goalkeeper, two defenders, three midfielders, three attackers on a nine man bench, hmm. I just don't see him getting a midfield bench spot because Thiago's yeah. going to be there, Henderson's going to be there, and then it's going to come down to like Fabinho or Jones. Do you know where uh, he would fit tactically and who do have money and? Uh let's say have spent money as well Chelsea right right side of Unai Emery's 442 ooh in place of John McGinn as arse yeah that's not a bad shout at all and they are looking for a playmaker they've been linked to Ergen Koku of Feyenoord so they are looking for more of an attacking creative midfielder 35, a sell-on clause and first option on Ramsey, and I'll do them the deal. There you go. And Unai Emery's signature on a contract that suggests that he will replace Jürgen uh, when Jürgen leaves, yeah? (coughs) We'll move on. We'll move on before his head explodes. Right, Carl, Liverpool face Fulham in the midweek game. Um, This is... Probably an easier tie than it would have been when we looked say, three, four months ago because Fulham are safe. They have no concerns over the end of the season. They have 45 points from 33 games, which is an outstanding return for them. And I think Marco Silva has done a fantastic job this year. But they are in poor form. They've lost six of their last eight with the only wins coming coming against Everton and Leeds, who are both dreadful. They lost to Brentford, lost to Arsenal, lost to Bournemouth, lost to West Ham, lost to Villa, and lost to City. So they do appear to be on the beach. And they come into this game with a, a couple of notable absentees. Uh, Andreas Pereira. Notable absentees. Say again? 
four notable absentees, all quite big ones. Yes, yeah, exactly. Andreas Pereira, he's done for the year. Tim Ream, done for the year. Willian, unlikely to be fit. Mitrovic, still suspended. And Kurzawa is injured as well, but I mean, he's the backup left back. Hmm. So that's three of their kind of nominal starting front four and the guy that's been sort of the one rock solid dependable center back because Tosin and Issa Diop have sort of sort of rotated in that other position haven't they so you know it's likely that it's going to be Tosin and Issa Diop at center back against us I guess and I'm not sure they've played together this season other than maybe in the cup yeah um Tim Ream obviously captain as well you know, organizer at the back for what that's worth. Um, I will also at this point make an apology because I said at the start of the season he was the one they needed to replace, and actually he's been really, really solid. When they've yeah, been he has deep defensive kind of embarrassing for me. My bad, Tim. And also, you still look like a Game of Thrones character who sets a sword on fire. Well, um, listen, listen, right? I said I said the same thing. I said exactly the same. They need to get rid of him because he's not very good, and he has had an excellent season. And all credit to him, he's had an excellent season. However, he had been in the Premier League on three previous occasions, once with Bolton and twice with Fulham, and been dreadful. Utterly dreadful. He was so bad the last time they were up, they just stopped playing him at one point. So he played about seven games in the league and they just stopped playing him. So I think there was a strong basis for viewing him as not good enough for the Premier League, especially considering he en- entered this season as a 34-year-old, almost 35. It's very rare for someone to have a lift in level at that kind of age. So I, I do think there was merit in what we said, but he has he has been he has been excellent. It is an absolute credit to him. It's by far the best season of his career, and it's a shame that it's ended with a with a broken arm. Yeah, yeah, poor, poor um, ending for him, obviously. But you know, the, the, effectively, the job is done. Let's be honest, isn't it? You know, Fulham's priority and nothing else was to stay up, and they basically got a really, really good shot at finishing in the top half. They still got five points on Palace and a game in hand in the tenth at the minute. So yes, on the beach, but still got a really good shot at finishing top half, and that would be an extraordinary season. Um, I suppose we could wait until we do it to Liverpool, but I might as well just mention it now because it literally just happened while we're recording. Uh, the FA have confirmed that Klopp has been charged for his post-match comments, which, as we said at the start, not a surprise, um, but it won't affect this game in terms of the sideline or anything because he's got until 5th of May. So it might be for the weekend and uh, might not. Yeah, so in all likelihood, it'll be Brentford, Leicester, and maybe Villa that he'd miss. I can't see more than a three-game ban. I think two would be probably about right because it's not like it's his first offence. Three is probably a little bit excessive. I did see, I did see, Miguel Delaney was on Sky with some other journalist, John Cross, I want to say, who firstly couldn't say the name Tierney correctly, and secondly suggested that a five-game ban would be the right punishment which i just thought was um absolutely bizarre but yeah he, he'll be fine for fulham um <clears throat> strong strapping on the hamstring maybe less jumping about and then uh yeah probably brentford and leicester are the two i guess he will have to sit in the stands and admire um 
yeah, so with Fulham having these injuries and with them being safe, they can't afford to maybe reward certain players that haven't played as much this season. But when you actually dig into the squad, there's not really a whole lot of options. They've got kind of limited options in certain places. Like in terms of youngsters, do anyone I could see maybe getting more opportunity is Luke Harris, the young uh, the young Welsh attacking midfielder um, who's super talented and I think one that we've probably eyed considering we like to take players off them. But at the back, I mean, Bernd Leno will be in goal. He has been he has been excellent this season. He's another one that neither of us were particularly high on, but he's done very, very well this season. And I do... I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac, and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes, and games consoles. Visit LibertyShield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. I do kind of look at Arsenal, Carl, and I wonder if they had either Leno or Martinez. Martinez, easy. Yeah. Would No, no, but, but either of them, would they be better off than having Aaron Ramsdale? Because I, Len, Martinez is the, better keep, the best keeper of the three, but... Is Leno's temperament just a bit more suited to pressure than Aaron Ramsdale, who appears to me to be quite hot-headed and a little bit immature at times? Yeah, he's a lot immature. He's an absolute child. But I do think that, that part of that is you know, born of the fact that he's been in a terrible side who have been relegated two years in a row, and now he's in a team where he can make saves look good and don't have to do stuff 88 minutes of the 90. And I think, especially at the start of the season, that was like such a brand new thing for him. He was playing up to it so much. I think he's marginally improved in that respect as the season's gone on, but I think concentration and general immaturity and decision-making is still a big thing for him. I, I don't mind Leno as a goalkeeper, first of all. I, I think for Fulham, he was a good signing, for example, but I don't think he is of any way or shape the quality or the style of goalkeeper that was needed. I take your point about the level-headedness. That's fine. I do think that his shot stopping is like one of his more poor attributes to be perfectly honest. So I don't know that he was a good fit for Arsenal and he's not good at playing out and he's not good at coming out of his line and, and gathering his box and all the rest of it. So I don't think he was the right one for Arsenal. Um, Martinez was always the one they should have kept. You know, when he first had his breakthrough in the COVID season, they should have kept him. They should have sold Leno and kept him and played Martinez then. That was easily the way, right way to go. He was better with his feet and a better goalkeeper all around. And he's obviously gone on to uh, prove that anyway. But 
I mean, I, I, we know where I stand with, with Ramsdale. We don't need to go over that again. I don't think him instead of Leno is a bad choice, but I do think considering cost, what they got for Leno, the amount of improvement and how much still more you need to get an elite goalkeeper, that that in itself was not a great choice. I fully agree. I, Martinez was the one to keep. I mean, the guy's one of the best goalkeepers in in the league and arguably one of the best in the world over the last couple of seasons. Um, at the back, I would expect it to be Kenny Tete at right back, Anthony Robinson at left back. I, I don't see much change there. I don't think Cedric Sores is going to come in. And then Tosin and Issa Diop seems like the pair. Shane Duffy hasn't started a Premier League game this season. I wouldn't imagine he gets thrown in for for this game. Um, so I'm guessing it's Tosin and Issa. Um, both of whom do prefer playing the right side, so someone will have to adapt. In midfield, they do have a couple of options here in the double pivot. Now, the, the nominal starting pair, or the, the, the regular starting pair, is Harrison Reed and Joe Polinia. But they did bring in Sasa Lukic in January, and he's a very good player. And with survival now confirmed and no worries, I wonder, is it worth maybe giving him the last five games or four games, however many they have left? They've got five left like us. Is it worth giving him the last five games to make sure that next season he goes in and he's kind of ready to to perform regularly? Because I think he is a better player than Harrison Reid, but the the Reid-Paulinia partnership was very, very strong. Yeah, I think um, I think I would probably be inclined to do the same with him and Mana Solomon as well. To be honest, um, Lukic, I mean, I've only uh, he's only started a couple of games. I've only seen him once from the start and a couple of sub appearances. He didn't play well in the one I saw, but it's an adaptation period. You got to go with that. Coming into a side who are not playing well though, and doing a midfield role, that's a bit of a big ask. So I think maybe the only way I see him starting is if they go with more of a, a three-man midfield rather than the 4-2-3-1 that they've mostly had. Um, so it'd probably be between Tom Kearney and Lukic coming in. And I wouldn't have been surprised if they'd have gone with Lukic other than for Ream not being available as well. And Kearney is you know, nominally the, the club captain, let's say. Mm. So with Ream not there, I wonder if Kearney gets the nod instead. Tom Kearney, 27 appearances this season in the Premier League. Only one start. Mm. But yeah, I take your point. Rather than the, the, the two and the one midfield they have employed of Reed and Paulinho with Pereira in front, maybe Paulinho with two in front in yeah. terms of uh Reed and one of the other two could be that could be the way. Um Manor Solomon, I fully agree. I think he, he should start left wing in this game. He obviously had that incredibly hot start once he came back from injury and scored the same goal game after game. <laughs> um but he's a, he's clearly a very talented player and one that they'll want to get a lot more out of next season. Uh, we can expect former Red Harry Wilson, I guess, to start on the right now that he's fully fit again. He's had a couple things. of good, yeah, he's had a couple of good games there of late. And then Carlos Vinicius likely starts because Mitrovic is out, so it's just a matter of who or what they do with that other role. It is. Is it a case that they go with a more attacking midfielder and maybe play Wilson as the 10 with Dan James out wide? Or do they bring in an actual midfielder like a Tom Kearney or a Sasa Lukic? I suppose they're the, they're the questions they have to answer. 
Yeah, they started Dan James up front for one game and tried to use him as the runner, but I, I think Dan James is useless, I'll be perfectly honest. He's he's very, very good in the straight line on the counter-attack, but I think as a number nine, as an outlet, um, he's just not for me. So I'd definitely be going with Vinicius, especially he obviously on the score sheet. Harry Wilson, like you say, he's got two goals and an assist in the last three, four matches for them. So I think him one side. Declan Overreed is the other one who has been starting, obviously, so maybe him on one flank, Wilson on the other, and Vinicius up front. Just on Dan James, let me ask you this for a question. You are a sporting director of a Premier League club, and two of the transfers that you make across your tenure are you sign a player on a loan with an obligation to buy, the manager doesn't like him, you try and finagle your way out of it using a technicality as a result of the pandemic, end up having to pay full whack for the player anyway, and then have to pay him out his entire contract, rather than just take the player in and you know keep him and maybe try and sell him on a year later, you end up basically paying 40 million for a guy that never plays on the contract. Is that a worse deal than trying to sign a player from a lower league while you're in that lower league, not getting him, then seeing him go to another to a to a Premier League club, watching him in the Premier League for two straight years, and deciding that after the 15 million that that club had paid for him, you were going to give 25 million and another 10 million in assets. Which which deal, which deal is worse to sign Dan James? For 25 rising to 35, or that horrendous Jean Kevin Augustine deal. Which one is is Victor Orta sitting at home now, having been sacked, wondering which one was it? Which one really? Which was the one that really got me the sack? Because it's one of them. Yeah, um, I mean, it could have been others. Let's be honest. It could have been telling a bunch of people in the stands to to do one. Let's say using politer terms than he did. It could have been his, his arguments, different confrontational style with a succession of coaches. Um, it could have been other very, very poor buys uh, who we could mention, but you know we have, we have other things to talk about on this podcast. It could be his general um, unflattering demeanour when, when posed with questions which didn't put him in the best light. I have zero sympathy for him. He did some good stuff when they were in the championship and had more money than everybody else. He lured Bielsa there and kept him there. Great. Mm. There's a lot more to your job, and he didn't do that very well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, he didn't do his job well at all. Um, you look at their defensive record. Look at the fact that when Patrick Bamford's not there, there is no striker at the club. Um, these are major issues when you've been the man making the recruitment decisions for a number of years. Um, yeah, the happy trails to Victor Orta as Leeds director of football. Anyway, back to Fulham. Um, so yeah, I think we've we've pretty much got what we expect their first eleven to be. But what about ours then? So we go into this game with no Ramsey, no Basetic, no Keita, no Firmino, and unlikely to have Diogo Jota. It would appear he has a a rib injury or a back injury or something. Uh, Thiago, it looks like could be okay to go on this one. Um, so what that means, I don't know. But are you expecting any changes from the weekend? Are you expecting many changes from the weekend? I don't think we'll see many in any of the games now. I think that's become fairly clear. Um, I do think there'll be one or two changes. I don't expect Harvey Elliott to start again for starters. 
and obviously if Jota can't make it, that's the second change. I think if we're going two changes per game at the minute, that's probably the max we should expect. And Jota didn't start the last game, remember, so he he ending it wouldn't true. count as a <laughs> very true. Very true. I've forgotten uh, Diaz's existence already. I apologize. I've been so anxious to get him back. I've forgotten when I actually got him back. Um did we start him twice in a row? That's the question. He looked fine. He looked he looked great. Really energetic. I I think if there's no adverse reaction in the recovery time across the first couple of days, then I guess, yes, we start Diaz again, even if it is for another 60 instead of any longer. Yeah, so that, that I suppose, answers itself. I mean, if he's not there, Darwin is probably the one that comes in. If Jota's not at 100%, Darwin's obviously struggling at the moment. But I do think that that has a lot to do with the kind of game states he's been thrown on in and the fact that he's been asked to be a left winger, which... Yes, he played there some or played there for Benfica quite a bit, but different system, different setup, different requirements. Um, is there a shout to play Cody Gakpo as the right side at eight and maybe play Darwin through the middle if Jota's fit enough to be on the bench? I don't think I would. You wouldn't. I think he played really well last time out. I'd keep him at number nine, regardless of who else is fit. I think he's one of the ones over the last couple of games that I think have played better, so I, I wouldn't move him anyway. Okay, so you're going Salah, Gakpo, and, and Diaz in attack. Yes. Curtis, as you mentioned earlier, you wouldn't be dropping. Fabinho it will be in the team. Who's your third midfielder then? You said it wouldn't be Harvey. I don't think Harvey should start either. But then you do have to kind of say, well, look, it was his first game in in a little bit of time so it's his first game in this system is it worth giving it another go or is it just you know let's let's cut bait and try something different um i mean i don't think it worked defensively at all that's that's my no problem. neither neither do i but it didn't work with dilafel either <laughs> yeah well i mean if you're going to apply logic to the situation i can't really have a conversation <laughs> um, look i there was nothing wrong with Harvey Elliott on the ball. It was the off-the-ball stuff, and I think we mm. need to find a solution to that if we're going to persist with this, not just for the rest of the season, but into next year. If this is really the idea, then you've got two choices. One, just muddle through and then find the right player in the transfer market or genuinely look to see if Elliott can do it because you're not going to get anywhere else by asking Milner or Henderson to do it. We can already see a year after year what they do and don't do. So I don't think Elliot can do it. I don't think he did well in that specific regard. So either Diago gets a go and you find a way for Fabinho to fill that side, or Elliot plays again and you ask Fabinho to fill that side, or Henderson's going to come back in, isn't he? And you ask Fabinho to cover that side. So either way, <laughs> Fabinho, best be ready, son. Carl, just just on this position, like we know what the requirements are. And one of the big requirements is to help defensively to have that that engine to be able to do that to have that dynamic burst to be able to cover back another another requirement is to have that ability to shift out right and produce something from that wide right place is 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 alex oxlade chamberlain not the one we have now the player we bought is that kind of the prototype of what would fit best in that role? Um, 
I think I would still want someone a bit more defensively already inclined. I think a box to box, proper box to box, is is what's required in that role. Um, so Federico Valverde. I mean, Valverde, they can do whatever bloody role you want. That's the that's, that's the issue. Well, he like he is literally if you could if you could go into a lab and develop the player. Yeah, I think it's him, isn't it? Like it's it's him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm trying to think of who would not be quite as elite, but have the physical capability to do it without letting down from a technical perspective. Let's say someone like Scott McTominay, for example. I think someone with the physical capabilities that he has and the technical capacity that he has, which is not of an elite level, but is good, is more important for Liverpool for that role, as we've seen at the moment, than someone who is really good going forward, than like Oxley chamberlain was at that time. I think that's what would benefit Liverpool most in terms of balance of the team, in terms of, um, well, let's say not conceding 67 chances, which are exactly the same every single match. I think it's more important to have someone who is really diligent about that job, really, really physically capable, and yet will contribute a little bit in build-up play, getting into the box just by sheer physicality, athleticism, power if necessary, and then hopefully has got composure and finishing touch at the end of it. But if not, they're still technically good enough that they can be involved in the build-up play. I think that's okay, because we've got real, real penetration in that number eight right side channel and central areas now that Trent's there. So that's less important now than it was. Because before, if you were asking Henderson to play that eight zone all the way into the penalty box, you needed good delivery from there. And he was always doing that stupid clipped cross to the back post straight out of play. You don't really need that now. If you want anything from Henderson in terms of the attacking, it's overlapping around the right-hand side when uh, Mo darts in field, or it's getting into the box as an extra body, as a second runner, a late runner, someone to get on the end of pullbacks, that kind of thing. And... I think Henderson can probably do that fine, but then he doesn't have the athleticism to get back. He doesn't have the diligence to get back. He doesn't have the defensive capacity to make the challenge and stop the ball coming in when he's there. And if he does, he's not getting back forward again. So I think... Um, yeah? Uh, so you're not going to believe this, right? So we're doing this on Skype and I'm going to have to draft a quick email off to Bill Gates and let him know that there's a flaw in his in his Skype system because I you're not going to believe this now. I swear, I, 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 my system, my Skype just had you tell me that Scott McTominay <laughs> was the type of player we should buy. No, no, no. I'm not saying Scott McTominay is the type of player. This is what I said at the beginning. I'm not looking for an elite level player here. I'm saying more of the areas. <laughs> There's no walking this back. I'm not walking it back. I, I think that someone who can do that from one box to the other all game long is more important than someone who is as good as Oxlade Chamberlain was. Forget the name if you don't know. So would you say someone like Marcus Lorente? No. Far far more athletic than that now. Yeah. I, I don't mean I don't necessarily mean I don't I, I he's he's started to break down, but hmm. think back a couple of years ago. Yeah, sure. Let's say when they suddenly made him a, a second forward after being a right wing back, right? Three yeah. years back, right? Someone around that time. And Someone he could still who, get himself back to right back when needed. Yeah, let's say a twenty two year old Steven Gerrard where he was playing right back and centre mid and a number ten. Someone who basically is is 
obviously we want somebody who's good on the ball, someone who has a bit of you know awareness and composure and can pick a pass and the rest of it. But I think if we persist with this, that right-sided player is going to be as tactically fundamental to us winning games and not losing them as Roberto Firmino was at the start of the Klopp era. It's that important because at the minute, we're really good on the ball again. We're looking confident, but we're awful at stopping chances. Awful. And it is that role. If Trent is going to be going into the centre, it's that role. I do think he can also mitigate that a bit by getting a more dynamic player than Fabinho next to Trent. Oh, 100%. It has to be. So you just shared with me a tweet from Rodrigo Romano, who I've decided to elevate to, who I've never heard of before, but I've decided to make him a top-tier journalist. Uh, And he says that uh, Manu Lugart is a player Liverpool have set their sights on. Uh, the Anfield team is probing probing the numbers to incorporate at the wheel for next season. A contract of 2026, exit clause of 60 million euros. This gentleman has no less than 483,000 uh, followers on Twitter. So I have decided to put him in as a top tier source. Um, so I do think he would help. But no, I like, look, Valverde is the, the kind of dream fit in that role. Jude would obviously be a a phenomenally good fit as well maybe a little bit overqualified for it in some ways um but if you look at fb ref and look at similar players to federico valverde the number one result is nicola barella so you know i mean if you could get a younger zielinski he could do that role as well he's obviously a little bit past the point of where we would want to buy him but that's the type of role that I, I could have seen him fill uh, you know, three years ago. Um, anyway, back to the topic, which is Fulham. The back four remains the same. Trent, Ibu, Virgil, Robbo, Allison, and Goal. Would you consider maybe Costas for Robbo and see if it's any better with him? No. There's no point. Costas isn't playing next season. I think Costas will be sold in the summer. I don't see any, any, any. Yeah, no, I think he's gone. So I think he's gone. I think he has to go. Yeah, I think if there's a change, it's the one you mentioned on Raw. It'd be Gomez getting that chance. Yeah, I'd like to see that. I don't expect that to be the case. Maybe if it was an away game, but not home to Fulham, who are done. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I would like to see, even though, even just for the last 30, I'd like to see what it would look like with Joe rather than Robbo. so the one the one position of uncertainty is that right-sided midfield role. The hope will be Thiago. The expectation is that Captain Teflon comes back in yeah. um, and gives us another four out of ten performance. Do you, um, to, do you want me to give you a different name instead of Scott McTominay? But to, yes, along the same things, and we've spoken about him before. Amadou Anana. Oh, I would take him tomorrow. There is a player who is not elite in technical terms right he's good he can dribble the ball he can carry the ball but he's, he's a little bit erratic as well he's still young he's you know he's not always completely refined in his final pass and all the rest of it but he has the energy he has the legs he has the athleticism he has the uh awareness the positional play he has the intelligence in his game of where to pick up positions mm. and most importantly he has the diligence to get back every single time i would take him in a heartbeat i think i think he is going to be an absolute beast in midfield I think he has everything you want. Um, I, I would definitely, if Everton go down, we should kick the tires on that just to see what they say. Um, as we were talking, could Manu Kone be repurposed into that type of a role? 
He could, but if we sign Kone and don't use him as the six, I'm not really sure what the point and what we're doing here in our recruitment is anymore. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, although I, I do, in a three, I think he's more the left-sided one than the six. Mm. So, yeah, I, yeah. But Kone yeah, in that role... What we have been linked with who we would say is a six, but I would use in that right-sided eight is Chouameni because he's... I think a lot better as a ball carrier and you get a bit better use out of him being able to win back play higher up field as well. Yeah. But that's I fair. Don't really see that one happening if I'm being honest. No, probably not. And if I know if we do, I think he would just play as a six. Um right, so give me a prediction then. Liverpool versus Fulham Wednesday night at Anfield under the lights. What's the scoreline at the end of it? Seventeen nil. Listen, Lisa Marie is listening. And you're already on thin ice. Listen, I've been pretty much spot on the last you six You are on thin ice. She told me that you're one wrong prediction away when you do these silly things and say we're going to beat someone 5-0 and we lose 1-0. You're one away from a full season ban from predictions for next year. For sake. And that's not me saying that. That's her saying that. This is more harsh than Jurgen Klopp's likely impending suspension. Um, all right, 4-0. 4-0. I, I like that. I do like that. I'll go 4-1 because I just don't trust us to keep a clean sheet because defensively we are an absolute catastrophe. Like, we've conceded 42 goals. If not for Ali, that's probably a number well into the 50s. Oh, God, it's 60. And when you consider that across 18-19, 19-20 and 21-22 on average, we conceded 33 goals a season in the Premier League. That's that's a fairly massive, fairly massive and calamitous drop off. Um, right, we will leave it there. Have you ended? No, we won't. No, we won't. Oh, we I've won't. got one question for you. Right. If we beat Fulham on Wednesday night, yeah, and then Brighton beat Man United on Thursday night, yeah, heading into the weekend, do you retain any top four hope? Um, there would be four points between us, but they have a game in hand. They'd have a game in hand. Four points. Do you know, the answer is no, because their run-in is, they've got Wolves at home, Chelsea at home, and Fulham at home. Yeah. And I think they're all wins, which means they'd only need to take two more points from West Ham away and Bournemouth away. Or they need they need three because we've got a better goal difference. Um, I mean, I no, I'm going to say no because I don't want to get myself <laughs> hopeful for it. But like, I do see a world in which Brighton beat them, West Ham beat them because they're desperate because West Ham are, are in the shit still. Um, they beat Wolves, but maybe they only get a draw at Bournemouth and then they win their last two. So that would give them let's say, 10 points from the last six games. And if we could take 15, we would... No, we still wouldn't beat them, would we? No, they'd have they'd have 73 and we'd have 71. So even at that, even at that, they'd beat us by two points. They, they only need to take nine points from the five games after that, and they've got, they've got some gimmies there. They'll beat Wolves, they'll beat... Um, they'll beat Chelsea and they'll beat Fulham final. No, so the answer is no. They only need nine points. No. Fulham final game, they'll rest players ahead of the FA Cup final. 
Yeah, but Fulham are going to have nothing to play for either. Like, it might be a thing that they go with the first 11 and they're 2-0 up at half-time and they just whip Casemiro and Bruno and Rashford off and sit them from there. I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get you. Change your mind by Paul. No, 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 it's it's over. It's over. It's over. <laughs> we've we've look. We've caused ourselves this. This is this is entirely of our own doing. Yes. Entirely of our own doing. We're in May and we're now attempting to get our first five wins on the bounce. Yeah. Right. It's absolutely pathetic. Like, you know, and, and like a, you look at it and you think, do you know what? Do you know what would be really nice around now? It'd be a clean sheet, lads, against someone that's not Chelsea. A clean sheet against someone that's not Chelsea would be really good because the last one was United on the 5th of March. Nine uh, conceded in the last five games, despite us not losing a match. That's not that's, very good. It's not, not sustainable. sustainable. It's not sustainable at all. It's not mm-hmm. like we we easily could have lost that Spurs game and they're terrible. And we battered them for 15 minutes and we're 3-0 up and we easily could have lost that game. We had four shots on target and scored from them all. They had. They could easily have scored six. Shambles, shambles defensively. Um, it, Jared Bones a half step from it, it being two two in the West Ham game. You know, their one defender being more switched on for um, for Diogo Jota's second goal. For sorry, Forrester one defender been switched on for Jota's second goal from getting a draw. If if the reaction from the Ebu mistake isn't as quick against Leeds, who, like, no, I'm just not going to get myself into this. No, no, no. Uh, we're going to leave it there. Did you have anything to plug? I have a Brighton piece, which will be up before their match against Man United. And after the weekend, I'll have Champions League stuff. I did like Deserby resting Matoma resting Caicedo and resting Alexis for the Wolves game so that they'd be ready for United and then still going out and walloping Wolves 6-0. I I did think that put a bit of a marker down. I wouldn't be surprised if they gave United a bit of a doing this week. Right, uh, we will leave it there. We will be back later in the week to preview Brentford, which is another game against a team on the beach from West London. So we'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.